our passage is Genesis um, chapters 39 and 40. It's on page 43. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants, look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the servant, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Sometime later... The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, 
the chief cupbearer, and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected, so he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, Remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favourable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread, in the top baskets were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of, my, out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. And he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of, all of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into the Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Thanks, Sarah, for taking us through that, that long reading. Uh, let me add my welcome uh, to that of Steve's. It's great to have you here, here gathered with us. If you're able to, to gather with us in the building, wonderful to have you this morning. And if you're, you are tuning in from home, uh, not able to come yet, uh, it's great that you're able to, to tune in, in, in this way. Uh, if you've got a Bible, keep it open in these wonderful chapters uh, that we're going to look at, these two long chapters we're going to look at uh, this morning and that Steve has prayed for as we 
as we come to look at them. Um, now, some stories, uh, some stories make you, you mad and break your heart. Whether it's some of the, the bigger stories that maybe many of us have been hearing again about over the past weekend with 9-11, or it might be smaller stories uh, as well. I, I was remembering I used to live in Liverpool uh, some years back, and my mates saw a family who lived across the road from the little church we, we went to, getting into a van one day, uh, a family together, uh, getting into the van. But as well as the family getting in, they were also loading in their television and their stereo and some other stuff from their house. And my, my friend said, oh, are you moving? To which uh, the dad said, no, not moving. But we've just been out and come home too many times to find our front door kicked in and all our stuff stolen. So now when we go out, we just take our stuff with us. Can you imagine living like that? I know the difficult things in Cambridge, but can you imagine if that was your, your lived reality? Uh, just when you go out, you hear that and you realize some stories, they make you mad and they break your heart. Uh, Genesis 39 and 40, it's one of those stories, uh, three things to help us kind of navigate our way through this. I know some of the pathfinders, you might have a little booklet. You might want to jot things down if there's space to do that. But, but three things to help us navigate our way through. Uh, feel the pain. Remember the promise. And look, check for growth. Here's the first thing. Uh, feel the pain. And there's lots of pain in this story. We met Joseph last week, if you were with us, back in uh, chapter 37. He was, he was, it seems, dishonest and a bit of a show-off. His brothers hated him, really hated him. And we, we heard last week, they even sold him off into slavery. And now here he is in Egypt, verse 1, bought by an official uh, of the Pharaoh, Potiphar. Chapters 39 and 40, there's lots to, to read. But in some ways, they, they are painting a picture in two big scenes of what life was like for, for Joseph at this point. Joseph, we keep being shown, he, he's trying to make the best of things where he is, but, but just as things begin to be looking up for him, it's like the front door's kicked in, and the little he has is taken away from him. Chapter 39, if you've got that there in front of you, he, he's working for Potiphar, he's working hard and he's working well, and verse 4 puts it like this, Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. He's no longer just a kind of menial slave. He's been put in charge. He's not only good at what he does. What he does is done with integrity. The thing that's really hard, and you'll know this, you can imagine it. You might even be able to, to sympathize with it. What it might have happened to you. What's really hard is, is getting in trouble when you've done the right thing. And that's what happens here. Uh, Potiphar's wife repeatedly tries to take advantage of Joseph behind her husband's back. Uh, she's the one in the position of authority here. I can imagine it was tempting in all sorts of ways for Joseph, but he won't do it. And so after a while, she, she flips from being pushy to playing the victim. And Joseph is the one who gets accused, although he's done nothing but the right thing. 
Chapter 40, as you read on, he, he's in prison now, and he's worked hard again. Uh, and this time, though, the story wants us to see, look, not just his integrity, that he's a guy you can trust, it draws attention to his kindness. Did you notice that? Uh, chapter 40, verse 7, is speaking to the cupbearer and the baker. He says to them, why do you look so sad today? Sold into slavery imprisoned unjustly, treats others kindly. He makes one request. It comes down in verse 14 of chapter 40. It's just one little request in a sense. He says, look, remember me to the cupbearer. When you get out, would you remember me and ask for some help because I've done nothing to deserve this. Just ask for a little bit of help. But verse 23, he's totally forgotten. Some stories make you mad, and they break your heart. Uh, and you get what's being shown in this story. He, here's Joseph, and he's, if you like, he is badly mistreated by people he's got to serve. There's not anything else he can do, and he is badly mistreated by people you've got to serve. And on top of that, he is totally forgotten by people he didn't even have to help. You feel the pain of these stories as they're told to us. And remember, this comes in the context of the, the Bible saying, look, there's a faithful God. Uh, there is a faithful God at work in a difficult world. You hear that, and you read these stories, and it, and it seems dubious, doesn't it? To which a writer would say, look, as you feel the pain, remember the promise. Remember the promise. We said last week, in, in Genesis, God speaks of a gracious plan. A gracious plan for, for broken people who are living in a difficult world. Joseph's family were a mess. You, you remember that. We, we saw them last week. But it's to them that God makes a promise. We saw this promise. It comes up in Genesis 12. It's like a pivot point in the whole book. There, it's probably up on the screen for you. You can cast your eyes over it again. Two of the big ideas in this big promise. God says to Abraham and to his family, I will bless you. The second big idea is all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Doesn't seem likely at this point, does it? With Joseph's suffering. Past week, I was reading a really great book uh, by Rebecca McLaughlin. I've got it here to show you. If you've not, you've not come across it, it is brilliant. Ten, ten questions every teen should ask and answer about Christianity. If you're a teenager, Pathfinders, Graffitis, you've not read this book, it would be a brilliant thing to get hold of and read. And even if you're older, I'm not a teenager, I was reading it, found it really helpful as well. I do mean that. It's, it's worth getting hold of. But as I read one of the chapters on suffering, she's, she's obviously a Harry Potter fan as well, because at the beginning of the chapter on suffering, she mentions those books. And the thing she draws attention to is she says, look, in all sorts of ways, Harry's life is, is uh, filled with misery. If you know the stories, uh, Harry's parents are killed when he's very young. He himself narrowly escapes death. Dumbledore, that's the little Lego figure of him, some of you can see on the screen. Dumbledore is the wise headmaster. He leaves Harry with his, his aunt and uncle when he's a baby on, on their doorstep. His aunt and uncle hated his parents. And they really dislike Harry. He's mistreated at times. He is bullied by his older cousin. 
And later in the story, even Dumbledore will say, I knew you would suffer. I knew when I left you on their doorstep, I was condemning you to 10 dark, difficult years. And he, he says to Harry, you may ask, and quite rightly, why? That's a question, isn't it? In the sweep of the stories you go through, you discover Dumbledore thinks this was the only way. In fact, if, if Harry in the story is going to come through to the, to the end of the story and out the other side, free from the evil that has dogged him his whole life and finally enjoy life free from it all, this was the journey he had to pass through. Part of the battle in the book, if you, if you read it, part of the battle for, for Harry and for us as readers, I think, as we go through it, is do you trust Dumbledore? Do you trust him? Has he done enough to persuade you that he's good enough, that he's wise enough, that he's, he's trustworthy enough? It's a great story. Totally made up. Genesis. Great story. Totally true. Totally true, this story. Uh, and the period of time for Joseph, from, the way he's t from when he's taken to Potiphar's house till he eventually gets out of prison, it's not 10 years, it's 13 dark years he's going through all of that. But you begin to hear as you read this what, what this story is saying. God's plan for his people. His plan to, to bless them and, and bless all peoples through them. It won't necessarily be a plan that somehow manages to navigate its way around or avoid suffering. No, you begin to understand what this story is saying. God, God's plan, it is going to pass right through suffering. It will work along right through those things. And you get what this is hinting towards. To hear this. It's hinting towards those whom God blesses often receive that through suffering. Those whom God blesses often receive that through suffering. And you want to push that on a little bit further because we might add God's blessing to the world often comes through the suffering of his people. God's blessing to the world often comes through the suffering of his people. You hear that and you think, is that right? I mean, is that really right? Because, because this isn't Harry Potter anymore. This is real life. This is you and me. Those of you in Pathfinders, those of you who are graftees, this is you guys at school. Is this the way God works? And those of you who've maybe become Christians recently, or, or maybe you're, you're people who are, who are thinking about, am I going to pitch in with this God I made in the Bible? Is this the way God might lead you? In this kind of way? I mean, if I'm going to bank on that, if I'm going to trust that, it would be good to have some evidence that he really is good. He really is wise enough and trustworthy enough that he can bring us, even through suffering, out the other side. 
At which point, I think the Bible writer would say, look, as you feel the pain, remember the promise. Look, read this story again. Just cast your eyes over it again and, and, and check for the growth this time. You sp- probably spotted it at times as we were, as we were reading through it. The, the number of times where we're told the Lord was with Joseph. It's there in verse 3, if you've got it uh, in front of you when he lands in Potiphar's house. It comes up again in verse 21 when he's thrown into prison. There's absolutely no doubt in this story that, that Joseph is suffering, but the question we're asking now as we read it, is God keeping his promise? Can you see him doing that? Are other people being blessed through Joseph? Well, yes, verse 5. You see that? And the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. There again, verse 23 of chapter 39, you get down to that. We're, we're told that the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Here's this whole prison somehow being better, even as Joseph is unjustly suffering there. I mean, it's not all peoples of the earth yet. It's not gone that big, but there is, there is a growing blessing to other people, even as Joseph suffers. And look, what about Joseph? Is he being blessed by God as well? You look again at this story, and you could think, well, remember last week in chapter 37, we we met a young man who'd, who'd lie about his brothers, who was spoiled by his father, who was a bit of a show off and seemed to be pretty unaware of how other people were feeling, but you you watch him now. And here's a man with deep integrity who seems to be able to be trusted all the way. You can ask him to do something and he'll do it with integrity. Here's a man who knows the difference between right and wrong. And even when he's tempted, the the writer says day after day, he doesn't give in to it. He continues to do the right thing. Here's a man who, when he's pushed down further and further in suffering, you imagine that, just the stuff that happens to him. When he's pushed down further and further, what comes out from him is a kind of humble, kind care towards others who are suffering. I mean, that's a remarkable change in someone, isn't it? Uh, To become like that. Here's a man as well who seems to have grown in a very personal walk with God. Verse 9, did did you notice it? Just have a look at it. Here's one of the things he says in this this chapter 39. One of the things he says, verse 9, he speaks to Potiphar's wife and he says, look, how, how could I do such a wicked thing? And sin against God. It's remarkable when you think about it. In all that's going on, the thing that really seems to bother Joseph is that he might do something that upsets God. Uh, That from a man who you could be forgiven for thinking he's sort of well within his rights to say, God's let me down, I'm having nothing more to do with him. Do you ever wonder? Do you ever wonder what it is about God that he seems to be able to get people to love him like that. You ever wonder, what is it about God that he seems to be able to, to get people who, even as they go through suffering, continue not just to stick with him, but to love him, to follow him, to stick their whole lives on him? And you look at Joseph and you see, look, with, with all his suffering, there's a quality of life there. It is attractive. It's impressive. You, you might even say blessed. We've got 
this chart at home, I don't know, maybe you've got one of these, is kind of for measuring your height. You seen one of these? And uh, you measure your height, but it's also got things you're as tall as to show you what you're kind of growing up into. We have lots of fun. Uh, if you come to our house, we'll measure you. We'll try and do that. We, we do that often with people. I brought it in uh, to the church building this week to measure some of the church family, to see how they measure up, what they've grown up into. Let me tell you some of the things they come up uh, to. Ben Cook, a kind of operations manager, works in the office. How tall is Ben? What's he grown up to? He is as tall as a classic black London cab. That's how tall Ben is. That's quite good. Darren Colt, he's a bit taller. Darren, if you know him, if he heads up our, our family stuff, Darren is as tall as one of those Chinese terracotta soldiers. You know those? Seen those? Maybe you've only seen them on the TV and you've wondered, I wonder how tall they really are. They're as tall as Darren. When we have tea and coffee afterwards, go and stand and stare at Darren for a little bit and go, oh, that's good. Scott Bamber. Heads up, our youth looks after those things. Do you want to know how tall Scott is? What he's grown up to? Fine man that he is. He's as tall as Albert Einstein. He's pretty pleased with that. And even more than that, because I checked, that means he is a couple of centimeters taller than the minimum height for a catwalk model. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying, Scott? You've got options. You've got options. I checked Steve before the service. He's quite tall as well. I think he came in at 187. That's as tall as apparently the Yeti. So there you go for Steve. It's fun to think, isn't it? It's fun to think who you've grown up to be like, who you're the same height as. You look at Joseph and you think, who are you growing up like? Who are you coming close to in height? Someone who always acts with integrity. Someone who always, day after day, resisted sin. Someone who always lived to please God first. Someone who, the more you push him down in unjust suffering, what keeps coming out from him is kindness and humble concern for others. And it's then, as you look at this story, you notice him, don't you? As you've been... As you've been looking hard at Joseph, you realize someone, it's almost like someone else has come into the room and sat down beside you, and you see him. It's the Lord Jesus in all his goodness and glory, the one who prayed from the cross, from the cross, Father, for, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And as soon as you see him, you, you understand how he begins to speak to some of the questions we ask. He really did have God's blessing, and yet he passed through suffering as well. He really came to bless the world, but it, it came through his suffering. He resisted sin for you and me every day, day after day. Resisted it in order to bring God's blessing to you. And the God who says... His promised blessing for you and the world will often pass through suffering for you. He's not a God who, who stands far off and just says to you, get on with it. No, in fact, he's the one who, who won the ultimate battle first, suffered so that we could be forgiven. He's gone before you in every way, leading the way, and now calls you, not to go ahead of him, but to follow him, follow him, you wonder why Joseph loved God. 
You wonder why people love God like that. I, I suspect it's because even from Joseph's vantage point, which would be less clear than us, he began to know, look, and he could see this is what God's like. This is what God's like. So he trusted him and was blessed and became a blessing to others. What does this mean for us? Just as we kind of draw this together this morning, what does this mean for us? L- let me speak. Those of you at school, maybe you started back this term, maybe you just moved up to secondary school, who knows what it's going to be like this year? But let me take the example of bullying, just as we, we mentioned that a little bit earlier. Let me take the example of bullying. You read a story like this, and what it doesn't mean, this is not saying to you, look, if you're, if you're bullied, you're If you suffer like that, you just need to keep quiet and endure it because it's God's plan for you. That's not what this is saying because Joseph asked to get out of it. Now, if that's happening for you, you you speak to parents, you speak to teachers, you must do that. It's wrong, it's unjust. But even with their help, even if it stopped pretty quickly, I expect the experience of it, even a little bit, will be miserable. But this would say to you, if you've experienced any misery like that, this would say to you, as you feel the pain in Israel, remember the promise. Remember the promise. And with that in mind, you can even ask God to grow you through some of those experiences, to to bless you, and even to make your blessing to others. And look, for the rest of us as a church family, I imagine if we, if we talked today, we wouldn't be very long before we came up with others in our church family, dear friends that we know who have suffered, who are suffering now. And many of us would say they've encouraged us. They've helped us as Christians as we've seen them go through that. They've blessed us. There may still be questions to ask. We we might have questions that go like this. Well, look, it's all right for Joseph, isn't it? He comes good in the end. We, we've read on. We know what's going to happen for him. He'll come good in the end. But, but some of our suffering won't. And look, if you mean in this life, yes, you are right. You won't always, it won't always end happy now. But, but look, that's not the goal of the Bible to show us that. God's showing us through Joseph. Look, he, he's got to show us within the space of a life, hasn't he? He's got to show us within the space of his life. He's showing us in Joseph what he can do in the small scale. He's showing it in the small scale. So you know you can trust him in the big scale, even on into the next life. And his goal is not anything as small as just mere happiness. No, it's that you would enjoy forever the blessing of a life being like his son. That's what he's growing you into. Each week, as we look at the Old Testament together, I said, I'll try and give you a little verse from the New Testament if you want to chew over this. We've read uh, quite a bit from Romans 8 this morning. Here's one other bit. If you want to scribble it down, the reference, you can go away and read it later during the week. Paul puts it like this. And we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good uh, of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He does have a plan. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
That is his plan for you. So this week, wherever you are, pathfinders, those of us who are much older, look, if you feel the pain, God says it's real. You don't have to dismiss it. Tears are right and necessary at times. But as you feel the pain, remember the promise. God is at work. You can pray to him. And look along the way, check for growth. Check how he might be growing you in, and check it in others and encourage one another in that way. Some stories, some stories make you mad and break your heart, whether it's the big stories of, of 9-11, whether it's the smaller stories of, of that family my, my friend met in Liverpool. Some stories make you mad and break your heart. But the best stories, the best stories, even in suffering, begin to make you glad and even start to mend your heart. And that's this story. The story of the good news of Jesus Christ, who has become your Savior, your good King, and your Lord. We're going to pause for a moment. It, it might be like oh, over this weekend, maybe with family, with friends, maybe Pathfinder friends or at Grafties, you, you'd like something to chat that through. Look, here's a thing you could chat about. You, you could say, look, is, is there a situation you're finding difficult? Maybe even being tempted in, it feels like it's going on. Is there a situation you're finding difficult where you want to ask the Lord to help you grow and maybe even bless others through? If you're chatting with your friends about what God said to us this Sunday, maybe that would be a good thing to talk through.